Welcome to season three of Motivate Me. We invite you to travel the 50 states in 90 days as we interview people about their passion. Why? In order to inspire you to live a life that's more exciting or more meaningful. This is Motivate Me, and I'm Lynette Renda. Okay, so here we are. I am talking to Andy Rieger of Rieger Whiskey Company. Is that what's the formal name? Jay Rieger and Co. Jay Rieger and Whiskey Co. is only a product that we make. That's right, because you make multiple products. But you know why I'm saying that is because you had an amazing billboard on the side of your restaurant downtown, and that's what drew my attention to you, because and that was all about whiskey. That painting on the side of the building downstairs downtown right? it was so the well the real history behind the whole company is it started in 1887 by jacob rieger jacob was my great 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 grandfather uh, when jacob started it he started it in the west bottoms district of kansas city which uh, for the history buffs what really happened back then was you had kansas which as a state was the first to enact a statewide prohibition of alcohol back in 1881 and so when you consider what kansas city was back then there was only one developed part of the entire city that fell along the state lines, and that was the West Bottoms District. So that entire area flourished with alcohol-related activities, and Jacob Rieger was one of those individuals who took advantage of it by placing his distillery right across the street from where the original livestock exchange was. So you had this area that half of it, alcohol, was illegal, the other half it was legal, so you had all these people from both sides of the city coming together to converge on this one neighborhood. You had these cowboys dropping off cattle, just getting paid, buying their booze, and he really took advantage of that and made it into something bigger. About 1900, then his son Alexander took over. Um, Alexander was the marketing mind, and he started what was known as mail order delivery. And so what they would do is they would send out these beautiful advertisements that looked uh, almost like what we would consider to be artwork that we would want to hang on a wall nowadays. And on the backside was what looked similar to a sushi menu. And you just checked what you wanted and you included your money in the envelope and then a few months later Pony Express showed up at your door with whatever liquor you ordered and that was how Jay Rieger and Co got to grow to be so become such a national brand and so it's been fun to see in the last year we've had people from Idaho Montana Maine and Florida just to talk about as far away as it has gone people that find bottles from the olden days buried in their property somewhere while they're digging for whatever they're digging for and so being able to see how far of a reach they really had was pretty cool but one of the fun things about the history of the family was in 1915, Jacob, uh, his son Alexander, was the one who built the Rieger Hotel, which is at the corner of Main Street uh, and 20th. And which the, is where I saw it. Which you. is where you yeah. saw it, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason why he built that was because Union Station was just completed the prior year. And so what Union Station, once it was done, what it started to do was bring in a ton of traffic into Kansas City from all around the region and even around the country. And so what they needed were hotels. So they really started this traveling salesman hotel concept. And when they did that, it was a lot of the wealthy business owners in the city that did it at that time, not so much the hotel giants that we think of now that when a hotel was needed, they come in and put their name on it. And so Alexander was one of the first, got the corner lot that was the very first hotel lot right when you walked into the hotel district. And he really looked at it as an opportunity to market the brand. So the very first thing you saw once you walked into the hotel district was this massive mural on the south side of the wall and that was what's been repainted that you've seen. 
It and worked. So it, it does. It brought me to you today, <laughs> right? I mean, that's pretty crazy. And that it, it is such a funny thing here. One minute you're in Missouri, the next minute you're in Kansas. You don't know where, like, am I? where am I right now? Am I in Missouri or Kansas? So I know right now we are in Missouri. Well, you're an out-of-towner, so it's difficult. I get it. Out-of-towner? I'm an out-of-stater. Right. I'm almost, I mean, I'm on the Jersey Shore. I'm almost not even in the country <laughs> so anymore. You know, you know all about <laughs> traveling from one state to the other within the snap of a finger. Uh, but Prohibition hit in 1920, killed the distillery. And then the Rieger family sold the hotel in 1926. Fortunately, it's always been re known as the Rieger Hotel. Uh, speed forward to 2010, a couple guys got together and leased the main floor in the basement of the old Rieger Hotel from the current owner and started a restaurant, brought back the history. And that was when I met them. And one of the individuals there said to me, hey, we should reconsider talking about bringing the distillery back to life. And so that's what sparked the entire conversation. And four years after that initial meeting, we launched this place. And another reason why I was brought to you was because you were recently a finalist for Entrepreneur of the Year for the Ernest Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, correct? Uh, so the Ernest and Young was uh, a huge honor, but it was definitely something that I was outclassed in. Um, they talk about the Entrepreneurs of the Year. There were people in that for the Central Midwest way that they do it is they sort of divide it up geographically for regions and then the regions have like two to five winners depending on how big the region is then they all go to nationals nationals go to international uh fun little fact the is either the first or the second winner of that entire concept was michael dell uh when he was starting his computer company so those judges probably have a good idea of why what don't you feel doing. worthy right why don't you feel worthy right though? So, so <laughs> that's right. Like I so, should know. so from that, you have people like Michael Dell who are reinventing or inventing entire industries, uh, and we're over here doing something that's been done for three thousand years. And so our philosophy hasn't been completely do something different. It's just do it better than everyone else. And it's a passion of yours. You're passionate about it, or you wouldn't be recognized for it. And that's why I'm here with you. How did this passion for you specifically begin? Uh, so this whole entire concept. Uh, you know, growing up, I always knew that there was this distillery in the family, and I didn't really care. It was something that had happened 9,500 years before. I even knew what was going on, and so we always grew up with bottles in the house and old advertisements, and we knew about it, but that was that. So it actually started in the summer of 2010 when I graduated from college. Um, my father was actually diagnosed with cancer, and then shortly thereafter passed away, and it made me change my perspective on life and uh, what I really wanted. I was working in the financial world in Dallas at the time, uh, really got to learn all about companies, how they run, the, the capital markets, buying, selling, um, operational consulting. And so these things that were giving me a great uh, groundwork to figure out my career, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I knew that I didn't want to do that forever. And so it wasn't until then I talked to Ryan, who is my co-founder in this, uh, and he and I really started hashing out the details. And at first I wasn't even interested in doing it, I uh, just was sort of helping him out, help, hopefully that he could get it started. Lo and behold, I started working on it more and more. We sort of changed it up. And then in uh, spring of 2012, I really started getting active and truly helping him build it out. And then it wasn't until that summer that when I got so far into it and realized that if you build it out as a distribution-based model and really think about everything that you're doing from what is the product, what is the overall picture, what do the bottles look like? How do you tell the story? How do you price it? How do you sell it? Who do you sell it to? Things like that, that you saw that it could truly be something very special. And so that was something that we really took to heart, not just trying to build 
you see it nowadays because the easier model is building essentially a brew pub, which we're all very familiar with, but it's a distillery. And that happens all over the country right now and everyone knows about them in every city, uh, but it's retail focused. It's not distribution focused. And so your ability to grow your brand beyond your four walls there is very limited. Whereas for us, what we're really trying to do is figure out how to make that everywhere but within our four walls. And so that's why our facility is purely a manufacturing plant. Which is pretty cool out here. I, I'm sitting here and I'm wondering where your connection and how you feel about your connection to your family, where that lies for you in developing this business. Well, so I am, once my father passed away, um, in terms of the Rieger lineage, there's only been one boy in every generation. And so I am the last person with the last name Rieger alive right now. Uh, and so from that standpoint, I kind of feel like it's do or die, more or less. Um, and so from that, that's been a huge passion of mine is to doing something that, you know, when I worked at the investment bank, I learned that I loved manufacturing companies. That's where we are now. Um, but I saw that brands are what really built value and you could build companies up based on brand value. And so being able to merge those two creates a, an internal passion for me. Then you add the concept that it's, you know, reliving a family legacy, more or less, that allows it to be even more meaningful uh, in the emotional side as well. And so that combination is pretty rare that people get to do in their life nowadays. You know, Andy, I'm always talking on my show about the fact that your life is a process and what you go through in your life, you know, you're, you're meant to experience these things. And you just walked us through how you got here. And all of these things just seem to be converging on this moment for you. Even the fact that you're the last Rieger male right now. Like, I just, I feel like this is such a moment for you and it's going to be amazing. I just want to tell you that. Well, thanks. Um, so I don't know how much more you want to know, but. Well, I want to know, want to know, I want to know for my audience who wants to get involved in a new business or get out and do something that they're passionate about. I want to know what kind of challenges you've faced that you've had to overcome. So for us, one of the biggest things that we did here was we didn't try to reinvent the wheel. We tried to improve the wheel. Mm -hmm. uh, and so from that, what I really mean is, um, you know, I wasn't interested in and trying to figure it out on my own. Uh, I'm a big believer in bringing in the right operating partners initially uh, to be able to set the ship going straight as opposed to trying to figure it out for yourself. Um, and what I really mean by that is, you know, right off the bat, we got into uh, bringing in a agency that we gave equity to and they gave us all of our services for free. And so they do all of our label design, our website, anything that has our brand on it, they touch. And having a successful name definitely probably played a part in your ability to accomplish that. But I think that people um, with the right trade or equity or whatever it is that they can that they can set up for their unique situation, that is an option to get people to work for you for free when offering something to them. It, it, it's, it's right. It's not always an option, but if you build it out and you build the idea out thoroughly enough, you know, a lot of times people try to approach that concept without having the idea fully developed and they expect those people to help them develop the idea. And that's not how it works. It's the last plug of the equation. It's here's what we're doing, here's everything. We want you to be a part of it. This is where you fit in. Do you like this, yes or no? And that's something that a lot of these operating partners like. And so they were the first operating partner that came in. Second one was a gentleman named Dave Pickerel. Dave ran Maker's Mark. He was the chief operating officer and master distiller from 94 to 2008. Um, he is our head engineer. He is our head of whiskey production. Um, he teaches our uh, distillation team how to make whiskey, how to make vodka. Right. Um, he helps us out with suppliers, all that, and helping us really figure out, answer yes or no questions. Another yes or no question guy is a gentleman by the name Steve Olson. Steve's the highest paid spirits educator in the world. 
Uh, his largest clients are Diageo, which is the largest liquor conglomerate in the world. Uh, they own Guinness, they own Johnny Walker, they own Smirnoff, they own Tanqueray. Uh, another client of his is the Spanish government, uh, the Greek government, where he helps promote their products worldwide and especially in the U.S. So he's just getting started is what you're saying. Yeah, so he, he's a slacker. <laughs> uh, and then the third one has been Tom Nickel. And so Tom, just last July, uh, left Tanqueray where he was the master distiller for 25 years. And so he now runs our gin program. And so having those three guys together under one roof has been pretty special for us. Um, they've only been together twice now, and then they're all coming together for a third time uh, this August where they'll all be in town. And so being able to have those where you can truly ask yes or no questions and get the right answer immediately avoids what most small distilleries have to learn over two to three years. And so the ability to be able to quickly ramp up the business plan by having those gentlemen Experts. on board and also having, and we have a great production team, uh, so they're able to execute. Uh, I run the business, which is not something that a lot of small distilleries have nowadays. Um, and then Ryan helps run the entire retail marketing effort. And so from that standpoint, being able to have all three facets is pretty rare for a company our size or our age. So what do you think then that you've learned about yourself through all of this? Uh, I have learned that sleep doesn't matter. That's probably the best thing that I've learned. I've, I've learned to be very good at, I can wake up at 5 a.m. four days in a row, but that fifth day doesn't happen that way. Uh, and that fifth day was this morning. Uh, and so this morning I had my alarm set for 5 a.m. and I was out of bed at 7.30. And that was, you know, it's one of those where I was like, ah, I feel terrible about myself, but I work well, out. You need it. You have to take care of yourself. I know. You need it every now and then. So, okay. I always tell my audience, envision something for yourself explore what it would take, and then execute that first step to get going. What advice do you have for them on that front? What advice do I have for executing the first step? Uh, the first time that we officially said, and I'll never forget where I was, um, I was working for the investment bank. I was, you know, we built out this entire company while I was working another job. And I was in the Indianapolis airport working, I just left a client, and I called Ryan, who is my co-founder in this, and I said, are we going to make this equipment purchase? Because if we are, this is a $100,000 purchase, and this means there's no turning it's back. When you're, it's when you make that executive decision to, to hit the green button and go. It was. And there's no turning back. There's none. I, I know and, the feeling. And I just said, are we doing it, yes or no? Because if we do, I need your full attention because <laughs> there's no way this is not happening, and we're doing it. Right. And he goes, I think we do it. I hung up the phone called the supplier and said, all right, go. we'll do it. I'll call my bank right now, called the bank. And I said, wire them the money. And that was it. But it took that because we had talked about it for so long. That was in the summer of 2013. And so we had been very serious about business planning for about 18 months before that, but had been talking about it for 30 months prior to that. And so from there, it just really took that, you know, once you can only talk about something so often, it's sort of something that I translate to everyday business decisions of, there are people in the world that talk about doing things and there are people that do things. And sometimes even if you do things that aren't fully thought out, it's a lot of times better than the people that don't ever pull triggers because people take you more seriously. They know when you say you're gonna do something, you're gonna do something. And that's something that's so important today in the business world. I so agree with you. How has changing careers and building this business, especially with your family legacy attached, but how has this changing careers enriched your life? How has this change of careers enriched my life? Um, well, I actually. Well, I mean, we're sitting actually, here drinking beer at work. That's one we thing. We are. Um, I sort of broke the mold. I was 
cut from a different cloth in that sense where even at my last job, um, people would fear the boss when he would be in the building. And I would literally ask employees, I would say, why are you scared of him? He's a person. Just go talk to him. Like, what do you care? And people would be so petrified. And, you know, for example, people would drink beer in the office after 5 p.m. Well, if I had a stressful day, I would go grab one at one o'clock. And I couldn't tell you the number of times people would walk up to me and be like, oh, why are you drinking beer at one o'clock? And I'd say, who cares? I'm not getting drunk. I'm just having a beverage. It That's a matter. sign that you were meant to be and in the so, beer business. I think I really right. do. So alcohol has been in my blood, I guess. But, uh, you know, the thing that I would give advice to, was that the question? Um, what was, how has it enriched your life? How has it enriched my life? Other than the fact that you can have a beer when you would like. Right. Um, being able to do something that, and I never knew anything about the alcohol industry coming into this, so I had to learn it all. Um, you know, the alcohol industry isn't something that enriches my life. It's the freedom over my schedule. It's the freedom over the decision making. It's the being able to put something together and show what the final product is and say, yeah, I actually contributed to this. Whereas when you work at a big company, you know, you say that all the time where it's like, hey, everyone's part of this team. And it's so true, but not everyone gets rewarded as if they're a big part of the team. And so being able for all of us to sit here, make decisions, we all live with them. I mean, this is our conference room. You know, we sort of take everything down and scale it back, you know, because we know that this is not a showpiece distillery. Rather, our showpiece is what's in the bottle, what the bottle looks like, when it's at store shelves, on a bar, we can really save money. And so we sit here with, you know, six or eight of us. Um, everyone that's ever had any involvement right here at this table, at this, yes, at this tiny table. I love it. And we'll sit here and we'll drink and we'll even smoke cigars and we'll just talk. But that's how things get done. And we all enjoy it and we all love it and everyone's on the same page with it. And that's something that is so rare at large companies, um, being able to have full control over a scenario and a situation where you're, I don't want to say, I don't want to say a leader because that's, I feel like that's a word that's always so abused nowadays, but to where you can show your employees and show everyone involved that this is everyone's decision, not my decision. Mm -hmm. uh, and so from that standpoint, that's how we get done. I'm pretty good at delegating and not just delegating saying, here's what we're doing. You do this, you do that. But I say, you know, this entire realm better than I do. You do this. And so our head distiller actually told me that he wants me to uh, do a batch of whiskey one day and, and put my name on the barrel and we'd be something special that we release like 10 years from now. And I said, great, but you're going to have to hold my hand every single That's minute awesome, through it because I have no idea how to run the stills. That's so awesome. from that standpoint, it's been fun to be able to build something the way that you want to build something. So tell us what it is you make and what these bottles are here in front of us which just happened to be on the table when we sat down. The only difference is they were staggered. Well, so for the camera, we'll switch everything around so we can okay. talk in order. Well, technically, Perfect. this would be the right order. Okay. Um, so from left to right, uh, this is actually the original bottle uh, that Jay Rieger & Co. used to have. Jay Rieger & Co. back in the day before Prohibition used to have over 100 products. Um, were they all theirs? They had about 40 different, 50 different whiskeys. Were they all the same thing in different packaging? Maybe. Maybe not. We'll, we don't know. Uh, right. Nor do we really care. But what we really did is we wanted to take the old Jay Rieger & Co. and bring it forward. And so from that standpoint, it wasn't broken. They didn't fail. They failed because the government took them out of business. 
And so we said they had a great trademark, they had a great logo, they had a great name, they had a great story. Let's just bring that back and revive that. And this was and so, from which year? Uh, that was About? probably anywhere from 1890 to 1918. Oh, oh the 1800s. Um, <laughs> That's so, been the theme of our trip is everything, everything old is actually from the 1800s, <laughs> which I love. I think that's awesome. You know, that bottle reminds me of if you were to buy uh, a bottle of medicine, right? They give you a liquor for something that's ailing you mm -hmm. and really you're probably buy, you know, sure. buying whiskey, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, so they actually used to make on that topic, they used to make bitters mm -hmm. uh, and they called them stomach bitters and the entire label of them and the entire description in the advertisements they would send out was all about their medicinal uses. Mm -hmm. And so nowadays you would not be able to do that. Uh, the government <laughs> would handcuff you faster than you could count to 10. But uh, that was something that back then it was a wild, wild west. Yep, and that's a shot glass. And this is one of the original shot glasses of Jay Rieger & Co. And so we're right now working on, uh, it's a very thin glass material. You can yeah. feel it feels really cool, awesome, really classy. You can feel nowadays what shot glasses are today. And so we refuse to redo the shot glass until we have this, because the difference in feel from then and now is so dramatic that we can't do justice by printing the same logo on something that is eight times as thick as what it used to be. So are you going to start making these? Eventually. Okay. Once we, once we figure out that supplier, we've got a couple in mind. Uh, that are working on I, I need to get one of those when they come so, out. And they feel cooler in the hand. So I, I like it, yeah. So when we started uh, Jay Rieger & Co. back up, one of the things that we had to do, because it was a whiskey distillery, we had to start with whiskey as the product. Um, when you consider sort of the three areas that whiskey production with small distilleries start with, you get companies that just buy a barrel from someone else, put it in a bottle with their label, and they say, this is my whiskey. They become marketing companies. Uh, when you consider that our goal was to become this producer that's known in the bartender's eyes based on our operating partner team that we have, uh, that wouldn't do us a service because we would be known as the marketing company, not the production company. So that wasn't something we could do. The other solution was sit there, put something in a really small barrel, age it for three months, bring it out. We can tell people we made it, we aged it, all that, but it doesn't taste very good. It's an expensive process to undertake. Nothing, again, that would speak well to the Jay Rieger & Co. name. The third most common for very wealthy individuals is take product, put it in barrel, wait five, six years, then release it. Well, you get no revenue. So we're sort of stuck in a rut. So what we did is we sort of adopted the scotch method, which is uh, the blended scotches, which really what they do is they source products from different distilleries and create their entirely unique flavor profile, something different than anything else on the market. And so what we did is we sourced a corn whiskey from Indiana, a rye whiskey from Canada, and a sherry wine from Spain, bringing all those in-house and creating our blend here. And just today, actually, the guys finished up an additional blend. Um, and so what we're doing with that is we're creating an entirely new style of whiskey that is new to the current individuals drinking, but used to exist back in the 1880s and 1890s. And what I mean by that is back in the 80s and 90s of the 1800s, uh, back then whiskey production was something that was some part of what our today's standards would be. It wasn't aged very long, the raw materials weren't as good, the distillation techniques and equipment was far inferior to what we have today. So your whiskey overall was harsh and not good. So from that standpoint, uh, it wasn't very drinkable, but it got the job done. And so back then people's goal was to get drunk. So from there, uh, people, you had a lot of immigrants in America coming from Europe. Sherry was widely consumed. 
people got smart and said, why don't I just add sherry to my whiskey when I'm drinking it and it'll taste better. So producers got smart and said, our whiskey is terrible. Why don't we just add sherry to the bottling tank? It'll be in the bottle and we'll sell it. And so from there, then in 1897, uh, the Bottled and Bond Act came around, which sort of reversed taxation, concepts on aging, and it was the first real consumer uh, protection act for foods before any food really was protected under any uh, governmental regulation, if you can believe it or not. So alcohol was protected before the food people ate. Wow. I'm sure you can, you know, I'm, I'm sure we can all actually believe that. Uh, and so from that standpoint, then the concept of adding sherry sort of died because the distilleries were incentivized to age their product. Uh, but for, so for us in bringing this old company back, what we were able to do in bringing that old style back was do something that was historically accurate to the time Jay Rieger and Co. was founded, uh, but also was our own marching path. And so we sort of beat to our own drum and we didn't want to do something that was so standard with the rest of the industry, but something that really helped us stand out. And so from there, creating this new style of whiskey, really it only classified as the name whiskey under the government's uh, regulations. So we said, okay, so since Jack Daniels created this style, which is called Tennessee, and it's mm -hmm. a Tennessee whiskey, and it's a bourbon that goes through charcoal. And so then it's a Tennessee style whiskey in your eyes. And in Canada, whiskey that comes out of Canada that's blended with neutral spirit is called Canadian whiskey. And in Scotland, whiskey really that comes out of there that's done with uh, malted barley, and it comes out of Scotland from second use barrels, it's called Scotch. We said, so for us, because no one else has this style of whiskey, could this be called a Kansas City style whiskey? And they said, sure, that's fine. And they're, for the most part, uh, most interested in tax collection. And so they said, as long as you're paying your taxes, that sounds awesome to us. So that's where the name Kansas City whiskey really comes from. So bringing back this old style of whiskey forward is uh, referenced as a Kansas City styled whiskey. And so we actually use whiskeys ranging between four and 11 years old and a sherry wine that's 15 years old. And so we blend all those together to create a naturally sweeter whiskey, nothing that tastes like sugar has been added, but something that definitely softens the note uh, so that the entire I'm excited to try that because, no, I am, because you know what, we, we've actually had a big conversation about whiskey during this trip because some of us really like whiskey and, you know, now they have like the maple, the honey, the cinnamon, black cherry, different, and we've mm -hmm. been sampling those. So. I, that's why I, I don't know if I've ever those had those are all going to be artificially flavored exactly which is I'm learning from what you're telling me and so for you to say that you had sherry I find that really interesting so okay is, is that this bottle here that's this one right here and so what we've done here is um, one of the fun facts about Jay Rieger & Co is the trademark Jay Rieger & Co which Jacob Rieger took in 1887 uh, Alexander Rieger his son is the one who ran the distillery in its later years uh, let it expire in 1922. We actually own that exact same trademark. And so we just bought it from the government. It had sat empty since 1922. And it said when we bought it, previous owner was Alexander Rieger. And so it was pretty cool to be able to continue it forward uh, with what we're doing. Um, and same thing and with- And you guys have the same initials. We do actually, I've never thought about that, but we do. That was uh, funny, because that's the first thing I thought. Well, the Rieger name has never been, so there was Isaac, Jacob, Alexander, Nathan, uh, James, Tom, Andrew and so no name has ever been repeated and so my wife was one day telling me she goes so should we call should we name our kid Jacob or Jake or something like that and I was like no 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 no, no. you gotta keep but that we can't we can't repeat it's names it's, it's bad luck mm -hmm. exactly cool um, so from there also we also have a lot of characteristics that like the uh, shield that you see 
Um, that's, Which is on this shot glass. Exactly. And so uh, from our website, we have a lot of old bottles on there that have been photographed. Uh, the shield in the middle was what used to be on the label. Uh, the words extra fine appear. And then the original slogan of the old distillery, which appears on all of our products, oh so good. That was exactly what was on all of the old products back in the day. I saw that on the wall, and so, the, on the building. Yep, exactly. And so from there, it's something that we felt was so cool and fun mm -hmm. that we had to make sure we always represented it as being part of the original and current story. And I was a, an English teacher for 12 years, so it caught my eye because I actually wondered to myself, why don't they have the H on that? Because it's literally just the letter O. And o apostrophe. Yeah, so O apostrophe. But that's what drew my eye to it at first when I noticed it. It's like in Baby Blue or a Baby Blue Banner. It's in Baby Blue or something like that. And and so I thought to myself, that's that has to be old school. You know? like, And it just, I get it. It's cool. They were better at marketing back then than we are now. <laughs> but there were also less rules. And so they could do whatever they wanted. Yeah, which a lot more personality came through. You know? And there was a lot of personality in that. So that was neat. Absolutely. Uh, to finish out this product, though. Yeah. Um, so the whole goal was, obviously, you can see the shoulder of it looks very similar to what it used to look mm -hmm. like. Really just the whole concept behind it was the same thing that we say with when you look at our old Budweiser can. If you were to Google search the first Budweiser can ever made available to the public and you look at it for a half second and then you take your eyes away, you'll immediately say that's Budweiser. Mm -hmm. If you compare that can to what Budweiser releases now as their main cans, they look nothing alike. But the iconography on it is just similar enough that you understand the translation. Right. And so from there, that's exactly what we were going for with this product. Um, the inside of it, on the inside of the back label, all of our products have imagery on the inside. And so on the inside of the back, you have Jacob Rieger, his portrait. And on the inside of the front label, an original 1895 map of Kansas City that has a star on the original distillery location. Cool. Uh, so vodka. Vodka came next. Um, in our original business plan, we never mentioned the word vodka once. Uh, I've even Google searched, or Google searched, I've even word searched it to make sure that every time I say that, it is accurate. We were never going to do a vodka too many vodkas out there. Um, and so from us, we didn't do a vodka until the whiskey came out. It started to become very popular. And it's actually the bartending community that came to us and said, hey, you know, you're, we love your whiskey. If you came out with a vodka, people are starting to love your brand so much that we could definitely start using it a lot. And so we thought about it and we said, okay, if we're gonna do a vodka, we're not gonna do it like everyone else does, which is in America, for the most part, they're just corn-based vodkas. They are bought from these mass producers and they're just bottled and it's, it is what it is. So we said we need to at least put a little twist on it. So what we do is we actually blend uh, three different spirits, corn, wheat, and potato. And then once we combine them, we redistill them. So our vodka is actually considered a three grain or three part vodka, uh, which is very odd today. Uh, so with that, it gets distilled through our copper pot still. It softens it, it gives it body. And from there, the best compliment that we receive on our vodka is it's the whiskey drinker's vodka, which basically means that it has a body, it has some flavor to it, as opposed to whereas a lot of people think the flavor of vodka should be something that's astringent or described by words better, uh, it should taste like alcohol, something that you say, oof, that's vodka for sure. Um, so ours actually has a little bit of that flavor in it that's naturally uh, was what vodka used to be. And so from there, that's what we've done with this product. Um, this product, bottled, is a representation of Union Station. And so from it, 
you can see that there's the clock on the front, which is mm -hmm. what hangs if you, uh, while you're in town. Make sure that you stop by Union Station because it's by far one of the prettiest buildings you'll ever walk in. We were on our way there when I called you. Well, make sure <laughs> that you guys stop in because you'll say nothing but wow while you're there. Uh, there's actually architecture for it, which is the architecture for the mm -hmm. main walkway through it. And then on the inside of the oh, label cool. is actually uh, one of the first train cars to leave Union Station. And so with one of the first train cars leaving the station, Jacob Rieger has actually been imposed in that train car by our agency so that he looks like he is one of the passengers riding along. So that's vodka in a nutshell. Um, and then the gin, the gin has been our big PR one as of late. So that was when Tom Nickel, who was the former head of Tanqueray, left Tanqueray and a few days later announced that he was becoming a partner in this little known distillery in Kansas City. Um, and so from there, what we have done with this is we've adopted a traditional London dry gin, which means that we add the botanicals into the spirit in the still, and then we turn on the steam. And once we turn the steam on, the botanicals infuse throughout the liquor that's in the still. It gets distilled it through, and it creates a really wonderful flavor profile. Um, from that, there aren't a lot of traditional London dry gins made in America. Um, and a lot of people that produce gin in America for the most part are sort of first timers at it. And so they don't have great teachers like the gentleman who created all the Tanqueray that we've experienced over the last 25 plus years. So from that standpoint, being able to learn overnight essentially how to make gin has been something that is very, very odd and rare. Um, to transition these two together, uh, last year when this was in its first year of existence, uh, there's this massive cocktail spirits gathering in New Orleans every year called Tales of the Cocktails. Mm -hmm. And they have what's known as the Spirited Awards. And the Spirited Awards are known as the Grammys of the alcohol industry for spirits throughout the entire world. And so you have every large brand that brings representatives, every large brand throws parties. It's a great time for about five days. This took top four of best new international product developed. Um, it lost to Angostura, which came out with an Amaro. Uh, they're a multinational company. Mm -hmm. uh, Sue's Bitters was something else that was in it, which is out of France, which is owned by Pernod Ricard, which is one, the, one of the largest liquor conglomerates in the world. And another one was a distillery out of New York that had a product as well. So the fact that the reception on bringing back this old style of whiskey uh, forward was something that really caught our eye um, for knowing that this was something that was actually very well received. What an accomplishment. The gin for this year took top 10. It didn't make the top four, unfortunately, but it just goes to show the quality of the type of spirits that we're making. Um, because for us with branding, if you put your name on a brand or a product that is subpar, then what you're essentially doing is watering down your brand. So as long as everything that goes in a bottle is beyond fantastic, then what you're gonna say is everyone that tries any of your products is gonna say, what's next? Or mm -hmm. they make a whiskey also, or they, they make a vodka too. And so while we never ever talk about or promote our vodka, it does fantastic because we talk so much about these, people try these, they hear we have a vodka and they say, I have to try it. Right. And they get attracted to the brand, they try it, they see the quality, they understand that the price point isn't something that they can't afford. And they say, this is my vodka going forward. And so we sort of try to transition all the products one after another. Uh, what is this one here? And then, so the last one is actually uh, our most recent product, which as of today, uh, we are two business days away from it being launched publicly. Uh, but what it is, is this is known as Left 4 Dead. 
And so Left 4 Dead is our first sort of Left out. Left 4 Dead. Left 4 Dead. Okay. Left 4 Dead is sort of our first outside the box product. And what I mean by that is what we did is we teamed up with Boulevard Brewery. Boulevard Brewery is the largest brewery here in Kansas City. Uh, they're one of the largest in the country in terms of the craft size. Uh, they started in 1989 and they are known as the top dog of the alcohol industry here in Kansas City. And so from there, we have a very good uh, relationship. Our head distiller, uh, one of our other distillers came from there and our landlord is the founder of Boulevard Brewery. So from there, what we said is we said, okay, Boulevard has lots and lots of beer that they throw away every day for various reasons. Uh, the refrigeration temperature of this one refrigerator uh, changed out of spec, so they have to dump the beer. Or they did a large test batch that they need to throw a lot of it away, so they just dump it down the drain. Or something doesn't taste different, but what it tested out at on the mass spectrometer is a little bit different. And so what they need to do is they need to dump it because they don't know if anyone will be able to taste the difference. So we said to them, hey, instead of you dumping it down the drain, what if you bring it to us and we distill it and we create a product instead? And so the whole concept behind it is anything set for the drain at Boulevard, rather than them dumping alcohol down the drain, they instead bring That's it That's like here. an offense, right? Alcohol it abuse, is. they say. Absolutely. And so we pump it into You're our You're saving still. lives. We are. Not really. I can't say that publicly. Uh, but from there, you get left for dead. And so everything that goes in a bottle is going to be some form of a beer that was set for the drain. And the best thing is you don't drain. know what it's going to taste like because it, it's not going to be the same every time. It's not. And so from there, we have uh, different batches that each one is a different one. So for example, batch one, uh, we received a lot of Boulevard unfiltered wheat beer, which is one of their two most popular beers. From there, we distill it, and it tastes like a very wheat-heavy, hop-heavy, sweet uh, spirit, more or less. It doesn't even really taste like a whiskey or anything because it has so many different flavor characteristics to it that we're not used to. When you consider so distilled... So it says right here, this is number four. That's from batch, batch, batch four. four. Okay, got it. Um, or it's just a tax strip from batch number four. Who knows? Uh, I honestly don't know which one's not. That might even be water in the bottle. We might be surprised. You might be like, wow, that's really smooth. So, uh, but from there, what's really going on is you're getting something as a base in the still that's unlike anything that distilled spirit consumers are used to. You're getting something that is so good after it ferments, which is what beer does, that people say, I'm going to drink this right now. And then we're taking that, which is so good right after fermentation, and distilling it. And so from there, you're basically starting with, I mean, think of it as a chef that starts with something that is subpar versus something that is one of the top pieces of meat he's ever seen in his entire life. Of course, he's going to be able to do the absolute best he can with the best pieces of meat because that's absolutely starting with the best base that he can. Right. And so that's what we're doing with this. But from this, we're going to be able to have a lot of riffs. We're going to be able to age some for a long time. Uh, and do some other fun little here and there's with it. But uh, one of the cool things about it is we get to taste it after every beer that we get and we distill. And we say, is this something that we should put in a barrel? Or is this something that we should just basically pass through wood and then release to the public so that they get to taste it in a very true sense of what it tastes like? Because the fun part about this collaboration is people that are such big fans of Boulevard, they get to actually try this beer that's been distilled that they've grown to know and love and they say wow that's what my favorite boulevard unfiltered wheat beer tastes like when it's concentrated that's really interesting seriously and, and i'm sure you guys are gonna have a lot of fun with that oh we definitely See, yeah we already like have 
Yeah, like a, a product that you can just, you know, not be so serious about. But uh, obviously you want to put out good things, but you can try different things. Exactly. And, you know, from doing that, it may influence your next product. Well, so from that standpoint, you see that it's a collaboration. It's a little bit of a different bottle style, but it's sort of similar. It sort of has that Grateful Dead look. Mm -hmm. um, we were able to sort of distance ourselves from the current product line. Uh, the next product that we release is actually going to be a coffee-based Amaro. It's another collaboration product. Um, it'll be in this bottle style, though, and it'll be much more of a cocktail ingredient product. Where can people find your products? Can they find you online? Can um, they order online? So from us, uh, we are currently in 10 states. Um, we are in Kansas, Missouri, uh, Louisiana, Chicago, or Illinois, I apologize. Uh, Colorado, Nebraska, New York, New Jersey. You are in New Jersey. Um, we are. Um, we can go into it all day as to why little guys don't do well in New Jersey. Um, but we are in New Jersey, so any liquor store is available to get us. Um, and then we're also in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Um, and so from that standpoint, you can find us in any of those states. Or if your liquor store or restaurant that you like to go to says, oh, I can't get that, they're liars. Uh, forgive me. A lot of people like to take the easy road out and say, nope, we can't get that. But the other side of that is if you also want to order it online, um, there's several liquor stores that ship. Uh, I don't like to mention any of them by name, but mm -hmm. you can search purchase Rieger online and you'll be able to find some that ship. But every state is different with uh, regulations and legislation, so you can't always receive in different states. So it's just sort of a state-by-state -state basis. Right. Andy Rieger, thank you so much for giving us this lesson today. This was awesome. I loved it. I learned a lot. Once we turn the camera off, we'll drink. Okay. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's episode. I have come to be known as the 50 states in 90 days lady, a concept that is unfathomable to most. If you would like me to come speak at your event about how to envision, explore, and execute a plan, or how to create a life that is more exciting or more meaningful. You can find me at MotivateMePodcast.com. And the world keeps turning and I just keep moving along. Oh, oh, oh. And the world keeps turning and I just keep